Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day in a rather deserted city of Westminster still in these times of COVID-19, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Tom Cullen. Tom is the Managing Director at Digital Europe Limited, a group of companies which supplies telecommunication systems and services. Tom, welcome to the program and thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you, it's good to be here. It's good to have you on Tom and um, the purpose of this uh, discussion is to really establish your take on leadership. So if we dive straight in and first and foremost just look at that word leader in isolation, what does that word actually mean to you? I think uh, to be a leader uh, you, you have to, he or she have to provide a clear, crystal clear vision of where they're going um, on a particular product or issue and, and how they're going to get there and plus have uh, the motivational uh, capability and charisma, if you like, that um, want people to uh, follow them, to work with them and to achieve that joint and um, several objectives. It's about taking people with you, isn't it, as you rightfully say there. And um, if we think about your own leadership style, Tom, just for a moment, in the context of digital, how would you describe that? What sort of leader would you say that you are? Um, I'd say I'm a hands-on leader um, in terms of the business. I like to be involved in all elements of it. Um. And I also like to provide strategic direction to the business and um, also to the team that uh, forms part of the business. But I guess the critical element is that it's, uh, it's not me that implements those policies and drives the business forward. It's uh, the team within the business that achieve that. And um, hopefully I provide that strategic direction, support and guidance to support it or the other strategic direction um, that help my team achieve the overall objective. But at the end of the day, it's the team that I build that um, achieves and drives the success of a business. That's exactly it. Um, it's all about the uh, the team, um, as you uh, rightfully say there, uh, Tom. And um, it's important as a leader to essentially empower that team of people to be independent and take on their own form of leadership, isn't it? Venture out beyond their comfort zones and embrace learning curves as well to help them develop and be able to really produce results, as you say. Uh, that's incredibly important from a leadership perspective and a people management perspective, isn't it? It is. Um but in some cases, that's an evolving process. In other words, uh, people have to gain um, a confidence level in their decision-making process. And that, uh, particularly in the early stages of a, a, a person's development, uh, needs support uh, to nurture that confidence level. And then they, as that confidence level picks up, they... they um, have the confidence to analyse and make uh, those decisions. 
Absolutely right. Um, it's hugely important, of course, to encourage the younger generations to essentially learn because without learning, of course, we can't hope to develop them as people. And I think making mistakes is part and parcel of that. And particularly among the younger generations of emerging leaders, it could be said that there's even a little bit of a fear of failure and a fear of disappointing. And that's something that we need to sort of be looking at speaking out against, don't we, and sort of drumming out. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There is a fear of failure. Uh, Whether that's a healthy fear or a restrictive, uh, repressive fear um, depends on the individual, of course. Um, And and that support is critical to enable them to make the right decisions. If they're not sure, then ask and not be afraid to ask. Um, Because it's, it's getting those decisions right the first time that is a key to um, gaining confidence and moving forward and becoming stronger and, and more capable of making difficult decisions. But that's a learning process. It's not necessarily something that uh, anybody's born with. It's uh, something they, they acquire over a period of time. So it's a very collaborative and very sort of mentor orientated style of leadership. I get the impression uh, there, uh, Tom, for sure. And, yeah, it is. Mm. It's, a, it's a team effort. It's a team objective. It's not, you know, uh, you know, parts parts or elements of a team are not an island unto themselves. There's a collective responsibility as well. So it's a key that uh, each member of that team supports uh, each other. I think that's uh, right. And um, if we think now about some of the key influences that have gone into that sort of style of leadership that you've uh, taken on, what would you say, Tom, have been some of the big influences and inspirations on you as you've developed through your career? Oh, many, uh, really. Um, um, probably all sorts of things, really. Um, the... There was a. I spent uh, twenty years in North America working uh, for half of that time with a company called ITT, and the leader within ITT, um, Harold S. Janine, who uh, worked uh, in the corporation in New York, he actually grew the business from being a relatively largest business into a world uh, conglomerate owning 700 companies around the world. And uh, what I learned from him was uh, the um, you achieve success through uh, hard work, commitment, and dedication to the objective. Um, and that's what he demonstrated. Uh, and uh, turned the, the ITT Corporation into, uh, the, at the time, the world's largest conglomerate. So that's one of the things that I, I look at. I also look at uh, a boy in Canada who uh, lost uh, one of his legs to cancer. Um, and he ran coast to coast 
um, unfortunately, the cancer came in need of the chari- charity. Uh, unfortunately, lost um, that battle with cancer approximately um, about 60% of the way across Canada. Um, but his uh, commitment, his personal drive and dedication to um, helping to eradicate cancer has since enabled his charity to uh, amass something in the region of $60 million um, dollars, uh, to help cancer. So, so incredibly inspiring. It's a personal commitment that people make to a project uh, their own um, anybody's ability to continue to strive for success regardless of what they do and what level they do are uh, people to, uh, to be respected regardless of whether they rush the street or whether they um, are um, a brain surgeon or a world leader. They all deserve the same amount of respect. I think that's completely right. I mean, sometimes maybe we don't recognise leaders in um, other realms um, enough due to the fact that we are tempted to associate it with politics and with being in the public eye and with celebrity, for sure. Um, while we talk about inspiration, uh, Tom, one thing I was interested to ask is, um, have you been inspired by the reaction of those around you at Digitel in the here and now? And the reason I ask that question is because we've heard a great deal of stories throughout the COVID-19 pandemic thus far of people really going above and beyond, whether they've had to adapt to remote working or whether they've continued to go in on site. And they've been really pushing the boundaries, going out of their comfort zones, just keep things ticking over. And with yourselves, of course, being involved in providing communication systems and services, you are, of course, classified as critical workers. So how has the response from Digitel really sort of been for you? Has that been a source of inspiration in itself too? Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, Right across the board in terms of uh, how we've achieved uh, working from home, and we're lucky in a way because we have the technology that enables us to do that more easily than, than many other companies because that's the business we're in. But, um, you know, the dedication of uh, the team, whether that be the administrators, um, customer service people, uh, the engineers particularly who are still active in the field supporting accounts, um, that have problems with their communications. Um, uh, incredible, really. Um, and uh, the, the commitment and the support uh, they give uh, both to our customers and to each other um, has been um, really uh, enlightening, really, in a very difficult situation. It's fantastic to uh, to hear that. And if we think about the future um, now going forward through this uh, terrible and tragic and also very difficult time, what do you envision for the next 12 months, uh, Tom, as we move through the COVID-19 pandemic, hopefully out of the other side and really begin to uh, to look to the future? Um, from 
uh, from our point of view, we see uh, growth and expansion over that period of time, less than originally I thought from our um, strategic planning uh, because uh, of the COVID situation. That's going to take um, probably 12 months to recover, but that doesn't stop us from um, moving forward with our strategic plans and objectives for growth. It just means that that growth will be slower uh, than it otherwise would have been. The hit on the economy is obviously um, massive and significant um, in terms of the accumulation of debt in supporting um, businesses, either directly or indirectly. Um, that the government has taken has been um, very uh, motivational in a way because they're supporting business, they're supporting furloughed staff and doing uh, put together a very good job. I think uh, from my personal point of view, uh, I get a bit tired with some of the press and some of the media uh, who are looking for the negatives mm. in every situation and rather than looking towards the positives in what is a very unusual um, uh, pandemic that the government, as far as I'm aware, are doing the best they can to achieve their objectives and support both individuals, families, and businesses. Um, we need to be a collective as one. Are, are they making mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, if they didn't, then it would be absolutely amazing. We all make mistakes. It's how we react to those mistakes in, in um, putting them uh, right that's important. And I think the government so far have done a very good job. Over the next 12 months, um, the key issues that we all face, of course, are Europe and uh, the how we exit Europe. Uh, we're much better exiting Europe with a deal. However, I, I firmly believe that uh, if we exit without a deal, then it will be there will be bumps along the road, but we will eventually um, uh, come out of uh, the Brexit situation stronger. Uh, with our own um, economy and making our own decisions as far as trade uh, and industry is concerned. I also think uh, that the government need a to implement a, an industrial um, and commercial strategy for businesses, uh, manufacturing throughout the UK, um, IT support IT, which is fast becoming uh, the biggest segment in the UK right now, second only to property, um, and be innovative about doing that and being part of the solution to uh, the UK growth, not standing back from it. Um, I think that's the direction that uh, the government needs to take now. That's not going to be easy because obviously we spent the last 10 years buying down the debt that happened with the financial crisis 
And now we've just, as we're emerging from that, we've just gone through the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and are in it now. And that's caused a tremendous um, amount of pressure on the public purse. So it's not going to be an easy process, um, but I'm quite buoyant about it. Um, And I think that the UK industry, once they've got that direction, uh, will uh, prove again that they can recover. If you remember the bad situation we were into in 2008, a financial crisis, over the following uh, approximately eight, nine years, uh, the government dropped, I think, over a million jobs to save money. But the SMEs and SMB sector picked up one point, I think, 1.7 1.8 million jobs over that period of time. And the enterprise, the large corporations, only somewhere in the region of about 375 million. So the country, uh, whilst Napoleon described us as a nation of shopkeepers, is now probably you could describe us as a nation of uh, SMEs, uh, SMBs, and um, support. Uh, business support, uh, businesses exiting the situation that we've got um, will be the best thing the government can do. However, that will be under very difficult circumstances, particularly with the the death that we've just got back into as a result of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Certainly going to be um, interesting and uncertain times are for sure going forward. Um, we are just about out of time on today's programme, unfortunately, uh, Tom, but um, it's um, a shame because we could, of course, uh, talk about uh, the topic um, all day for sure. Um, it's been an incredibly insightful experience, I have to say, having you um, on the uh, the programme and also a real pleasure. And considering how uncertain the, uh, the future is at the moment, I think it would be great at some point in the next 12 months to actually have you back on the programme just to catch up and maybe discuss exactly what that new normal is looking like compared to this discussion today it'd be a pleasure to do so likewise tom um, thank you ever so much for your time today and do most importantly take care and stay safe with everything still going on because of course as everyone knows we're not out of the woods yet exactly and i'm saying to you That was Tom Cullen, Managing Director at Digital Europe Limited speaking. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with 1966 Football World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoyed listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, 
score nothing for Essex. Uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't. And, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He, um, he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me. He graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in 
by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Grease in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, 
on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, 
thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.